Welcome to the Metaverse Podcast. My name is Noah Kravitz. This is episode four coming up on the program. Adam Chung and Pip Macquarie from Soul Supplier, the Soul Supplier UK, stopped by ostensibly to have a conversation about sneakers and NFTs, but really we get into all facets of brand building, customer loyalty, what it means to be a customer and what loyalty means in in this day and age online. Uh, We talk about music, we talk about art, we talk about creators, NFTs, of course, and uh, what all of this means going forward, whether you're in sneakers, in fashion, in music, or any line of work where you're looking to reach, especially the younger generation who's digital native, who's grown up on the internet, now moving into Web3 and blockchain and the metaverse, what you need to do as a brand, really. Uh, to reach your next audience and to build loyalty, and also what community looks like in the internet age. So stick around for that. We'll get right to it, but a quick note, two episodes this week, dropping another episode on Thursday. So go ahead and subscribe right now, and you won't miss that. Um, Also, the newsletter, you can subscribe on Substack, metaverse.substack.com. You can sign up there. You'll get the newsletter. you get the podcast. Just sign up for the podcast, wherever you like, wherever you get your podcast. You know how to do it. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a, mo- take a moment to tell your friends, first of all. But also, if you're so inclined, drop a rating, drop a review. It helps us grow. We appreciate it. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find Metaverse. All right, let's get right into it. Adam and Pip from The Soul Supplier. All right, Adam and Pip from The Soul Supplier are here. Guys, I'm super excited about this. Uh, I am, as you both know, I'm a longtime sneaker fan, but also uh, there's a, there's an old connection that resurfaced here, uh, which is how I roped you guys into coming on the program. And I am really excited to... Uh, I mean, honestly, more to listen than to talk uh, with what's going on in the sneaker community, which is sort of a, you know, in some ways kind of an entry point to uh, fashion and culture kind of larger and touching on music and, you know, what's going on in sort of the generation of folks who are making all of this stuff happen. So really excited to get your perspective and learn from you and hear about what Soul Supplier is doing. So with that, here today with Adam Chung, who is the editor-in-chief of The Soul Supplier, and Pitt Macquarie, the blockchain and cryptocurrency manager. Gentlemen, welcome, and thanks for making the time uh, to come on the Metaverse podcast. Thank you. So uh, let's start out, and Adam, you've got the EIC title, so I'm going to put you on the spot first. Tell the audience a little bit about what The Soul Supplier is and um, what the content arm, you know, as editor-in-chief that you oversee, what you guys are doing on a day-to-day basis? So the sole supplier was started by our CEO, George Sullivan, back in 2013 or 2014. And um, it's basically a sneaker website where we work with a lot of retailers, whether that's in the UK or in Europe. And uh, we pretty much give them a gateway to sell their sneakers. And over time, we've become a publication, a publishing website. We've done a lot of different things with like different technologies we've developed. And um, yeah, the company's grown so much over the past few years. Like I remember when I started, which was like five or six years ago, the company was like five people strong. And now we've got 50, 60 people in the team. So yeah, it's, it's it's growing. It's It's growing so quickly all the time. 
And um, we all share that common passion of just loving sneakers and loving sneakers and streetwear. So we're really excited to be able to speak to you about it today. And, you know, uh, not to get off topic here, but the uh, the Air Trainer 1 chlorophylls just were re-released as a retro, my favorite sneaker of all time. So, I mean, we could just go off topic and talk about that all day. John McEnroe, wherever you're at, shout out. Um, so Soul Supplier does not, you're not a retailer per se. Do you guys sell anything directly or it's more of kind of a um, online sort of curated clearinghouse kind of thing? So we, we work with retailers who they sell the sneakers. So Got we it. don't sell anything directly. Cool. All right. And Pip, as the blockchain and cryptocurrency manager, what's, uh, what's your day-to-day role like? So I joined the company six months ago, and um, I guess around that time, I guess you could say that the company maybe was transitioning into like a tech company. So actually, the 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 dev the vet development team is probably the biggest part of the company. So um, they've released you know various products you know um, on on the Soul Supplier, um, which are all about personalization and thing and things like that. And what they were conscious to do when I was hired was um, try and modernize the way the company operates and try to make sure that the company, you know, stayed ahead of the trends um, and kept moving on. And it, obviously Web3 and, and blockchain was one of the industries that was kind of growing at such a rate at the time that they were really conscious to kind of try and explore it. Um, so, yeah, it's a case of trying to modernize um, and, and you know, to stay current because, um, yeah, the, the sneaker industry at the, at the time, or it is now, was experiencing, you know, supply chain issues and various sure. different retailers were, were having various different problems, especially with, with what happened with COVID. So the landscape at the time, and this is going back till last August, the landscape at the time, you know, it was fairly uncertain. Mm. Um, and, yeah, and so now we've got a few projects on the go. Um, but, yeah, it's it's kind of like, you know how uh, there's a there's a real real difference between we think anyway and the way that e-commerce may transition in the future uh so my job is to kind of you know make sure that we sort of like stay in that sort of um lane and we don't we don't end up you know uh, fizzling out basically so you guys have as you alluded to a, a bunch of of things going on future forward looking things one of which there's a new uh it's an nft twitter handle twitter channel that you guys recently launched yeah yeah so, so- um, yeah, let's if you would just get into that a little bit. So this is actually kind of like a kind of one of those happy coincidences in the sense that um, I I wanted to do something like this all the time because I think it was important that we had a presence, and it just so happened that um, Adam was really into NFTs, and there's a couple of t- there's two other guys. One of the content writers, Raf, was really into NFTs, and then uh, the main person who handles Twitter, the, t- the other Twitter accounts, was also you know really interested in the space. So it was almost perfect that we could coordinate and start this Twitter account, and we're really sort of just like excited about presenting to our community the types of projects that are going on that aren't always you know sneaker related, but they do have you know they are tied in in terms of the interests of the people. That, you know, there's a lot of collectability, there's a lot of community stuff, there's a lot of charity work as well. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like I, I feel like it's a natural progression for the soul supplier, but yeah, um, yeah, we have a yeah, it's quite new to people. What's the um, what's the handle? Uh, it's at the soul NFT, the soul NFT on Twitter. Excellent. So, um, there's a lot here I, as a jumping off point. Um, 
maybe we can set the stage to, and, and, and as you said, it's not all about sneakers. It's, it's, you know, there are different entry points to these cultures that kind of overlap. And there's a lot that's happened in the past couple of years in particular with, um, you know, people being, being stuck at home because of the pandemic and uh, looking to online communities. And there's a lot that ties into what's happening, um, you know, coming from that, but maybe to take it back even a step further, just to sort of start, um, can, can and either of you guys explain just a little bit about this idea of collectability and community um, and and hype that is is part of sneaker culture um, and how you know sneaker culture and, and the whole commerce aspect of sneakers and the reseller market has developed you know over the past I, I don't know how many years for me I've I've always been into sneakers, but I started kind of repaying attention, you know, five or so years ago, but maybe just kind of a little primer for folks on what sneaker collecting, uh, you know, is all about and how that maybe plays into what we're going to talk about with NFTs and the metaverse and all that. So um, with the sneaker community, like when I started at Soul Supplier, I actually found the job role through a uh, sneaker community on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So the, the sneaker community has been around for decades and decades and decades, yeah. but it's starting to kind of seep into the mainstream. Like, I don't know if your audience can see, but behind me you can see some of just like some of the sneakers that I've collected over the years. And it's kind of like well, the source supply I've seen, have seen has seen the ebb and flow of like the entire industry over the past few years. But one of the biggest things that makes the sneaker community so exciting and uh, and so um, enticing is just how passionate people are behind certain models, whether or not, whether it's like a, an Ultra Boost, for example, which is quite modern or like a 1985 Jordan, people have so much to talk about these sneakers. And uh, I guess that's something that's been like, uh, like normal, like through the start, through the start of the time, like things like Pokemon cards and stuff like that. Right, right. Um, I remember collecting them as a kid and I was so passionate about these cards and um, I love sharing my passion about it. And um, all of a sudden, all these young guys who were in the sneakers started to make money from selling these sneakers because because people were getting more and more excited. And that's where the resale market comes in. Um, I, I remember one of the first places that you could buy and sell sneakers online was eBay. And you know eBay. eBay can be full of like, the fakest of fakes, and <laughs> and that's how uh, companies like StockX and Goat um, are starting to like they're trying to get into that market, and they're doing it so really successfully, and um, it's become like a multi-billion-dollar industry just reselling the resale market, and that's happened over the last two three years, and like there's no stopping it anytime soon. I think from from the outside, it's easy to look at something like the sneaker resale market or something like the NFT market and just see the dollar signs and just sort of think about, you know, this JPEG of an ape sold for for millions of dollars, this old pair of sneakers that I can't even wear anymore because, you know, they're, they're 40 years old at this point, just sold for, you know, how many dollars and what, what is happening with this? And is it just this kind of um, artificial asset? But, but to your point, it's the passion of the people in the community, you know, that's been there for a long time and people collecting these, these old sneakers that, you know, are starting to be retroed now by re-released is what I mean by retro by, you know, the, the Nikes and Adidas and other, 
other big companies of the world. But the people who have these original sneakers and, you know, back in the day, talking about all the lengths that they went through to get a pair or to, to find somebody who had a pair after, you know, they were all sold out or that kind of thing. And so there are these, these market forces of, of scarcity and, um, you know, supply and demand that, that go into it. But behind that all, there's this, this huge community of folks who like, this is, you know, this, this is what they like to do and they find other people who do it. And it's as much about, you know, Barstool conversations, if you will, over, you know, which is better, the uh, the Air Max 1 or the Air Max 90, as much as it is about the headlines you see about how much a pair sold for, you know, on auction at Sotheby's. Um, Pip, is there something like that happening now in the NFT world, um, you know, that, that you're seeing a parallel, or is this just me as an outsider kind of trying to make sense of it? Well, I would, yeah, I would say there is. Uh, I, the way I see sneakers, and um, Adam's got such more, much more sort of experience in it than I do, but they are essentially just cultural artifacts, you know, of 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 history. Of so, I think that what we're seeing now with NFTs is uh, there's a viewpoint amongst people that they are sort of internet, you know, cultural artifacts, digital cultural artifacts, you know. So the the NFTs that we're seeing now, like the board apes and the crypto punks, the most popular NFTs. You know, they, they are seen as the first types of their kind, the first popular NFTs of their kind. So as on the blockchain, um, these types of uh, essentially digital assets, they will never die. They will never, you know, get deleted. They live on forever as long as the blockchain, you know, is there, which, it, you know, it, it will be. So I think very much people are kind of starting to see, well, we, we haven't really got any, a history of the Internet you know and now we kind of have a history because we have nfts the famous example is you know um jack dorsey selling one his first tweet you know, <laughs> right right it, as an nft so this is almost like you know digitizing you know little pieces of internet culture uh, into um artifacts which are now being you know traded like assets a little bit like sneakers so i don't think people directly think about them like that i just think that they are essentially like that and it's the same way that I personally view sneakers as well. There's two, there's a couple of sneakers that I love basically. And I always get, you know, um, I always get kind of like ridiculed in the office because I always wear Reebok classics, plain white. <laughs> and, uh, and that's because when I was younger, I, it was the only, it was the sneaker that everybody wore where I lived. Yeah. And I, I guess maybe it was because it was, you know, relatively cheap. And it was the one that you could convince your, you know, your mum to buy. Yep, yep. <laughs> totally. It's important, man, when you're a kid. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think that's what, so I wear them. And I think they look good with jeans as well. But yeah, so I wear them. But because they kind of mean something to me more than I guess yep. uh, Harachi does, you know? Right, right, right. You wrote, uh, you've written a series of pieces on uh, the Soul Supplier site, getting into, um, you know, j- just kind of laying some groundwork. They're, they're great pieces for folks who want to just learn more about the underpinnings of what's going on. Highly recommend. You've got stuff up there about the Sneakers Heads Guide to NFTs, about NFTs in the music community. And then some pieces about, um, there's a piece about what Adidas is doing in particular. And I want to get into that a little bit about how some of the shoe companies are starting to make some moves in the space. Um, there's the Adidas piece you wrote. There's, uh, uh, I-, I say obviously, but but uh, for folks who follow the space, Nike made some waves when they uh, acquired a company called Artifact not too long ago. That's a, an NFT. They specialize in creating NFTs. So can you talk a little bit about 
what some of these larger companies have been doing or starting to do now and, and how you think this might impact uh, the community? So it's difficult to know kind of to track, you know, exactly how this started. I think, you know, on a basic level, I think there's a, there's a whole new market that is there to be explored. And I think that they've recognized that. And it's, it's almost allows them to expand really quickly and scale really quickly without have without having the problems that they have at the moment which are you know sustainability um supply chain issues and things like that so they can kind of have a presence without selling any physical products which allows them to essentially reach more customers at a quicker rate so i think that part that is part of what it is but also i think that you know these brands are very very tied into to our culture mm-hmm. and I, our community and culture have kind of moved online. So I think that there's a few things going on. I think that Adidas has more of an idea of what they're trying to do. Whereas I think Nike are more, um, are more looking and experimenting that like they have, they've, they've bought Artifact obviously, and they had a, pr- a presence in um, uh, Roblox a little bit, but I still think that they're trying to work out exactly how they want their presence to be. Um, whereas Adidas is full on, you know, they've invested in Yuga Labs. They have a board ape. They are really connected with the space. Um, so I think this, this kind of, I think that, I don't think there's a, it didn't seem to me when I spoke to Adidas that they they like the, you know, the, the philosophical elements of the metaverse and Web3 and stuff like that. They kind of like mirror the ideals of, of, of the brand. But I don't think that there was a, you know, five guys sitting around a table, you know, drinking brandy and saying, oh, let's, you know, let's explore this area. I think it's just, <laughs> It just it's it's a real easy way for them to keep uh, their own brand identity and explore it in a different way um, that doesn't that isn't just tied to physical products. And I always use the example of, you know, like you 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 spend more time more you interact with more people online than you do in person. So the idea of not have, you know representing yourself in a certain way with an NFT profile pic or or with, you know, if it's in a metaverse, for instance, wearing something like, uh, you know, Adidas or something like that. I don't think it's that much of a stretch, you know, like we that's how we wear clothes in general in, in real life. You know, they kind of say something about your personality. So if you think about the fact that we and we interact with more people online on a daily basis than we do in real life, um, then I think you can understand why there's a whole sort of personality crisis going on with people who are online and how they want to portray themselves is can is becoming more important i think for me um being a little bit older than you guys um and uh you know a little bit older i think that than a lot of the people eh, some of the people anyway when we're talking about the culture um my real eye-opener was sometime over the past couple of years watching my younger son playing uh well different games but roblox is the one that that really jumped out and he got into cars and he was doing all he could to you know accrue enough roblox to buy uh, they have funny funny knockoff names i guess so they wouldn't get sued you know but to buy a bugatti to buy a lambo to buy these different cars so that he could drive around them in the meta in the metaverse in roblox and for me that was kind of the like right like this is what he's doing and this is you know what's in this reality digital wherever he can't go out and you know buy a physical lamborghini and drive it even if he had the money he's not old enough to drive a car in california where he lived but he can do it here and and even though it might sound obvious for me that was kind of a little light bulb moment of like right 
this is where he's hanging out. You know, he's playing the game. He's doing it on his own. He's interacting with other, you know, people's avatars. Sometimes he plays with his friends and they have a FaceTime chat going while they're doing it. And so presenting himself, the clothes, the car, whatever it is, it makes sense. And so from that perspective, it starts to make a little more sense to me why, you know, people would spend however much they're spending for an NFT to use as a profile pick for a pair of digital trainers to wear, you know, is that what you're seeing and getting back as well? Or is there a, a different thing happening that's, that's, um, you know, kind of motivating people to, um, and I hate to bring it back always to financial terms, but it's kind of the easiest to quantify to spend, you know, physical money on digital goods. Um, I, I very much think so. I, I kind of would, twist it on its head and i would say that it's a lot to do with the brands trying to reach potential okay. new customers um in a way that i mean I, I don't i think that they're they're not necessarily worried but i think it's a conscious decision to try and reach new customers as uh, and so that's why they do things like um you know fortnite skins and things like that it's a way of them you know universe universalizing their their brand to like a younger generation who are into completely different things, live a completely different life than, you know, even people who are 10 years older, you know? Um, so, and with Fortnite, I think that was the kind of like the big moment when Pete, when brands realized that customization and is so important to young people and the way that they walk on the, the way that they are portrayed in games and things like that, you know, is actually a really, really profitable um, industry. Um which is why NFTs are probably a, uh, as profile picks at least are a, a such a you know a high revenue industry as well. I think that I don't think people really realize that actually the way that you are portraying yourself online is so important. Um, and also, I think it goes back to you when you are you, when you are interacting in games. A lot of the time, you're you know you're anonymous or at least so. Um, how do you kind of show your personality without showing your face or without showing your name or where you know? And maybe you kind of want to take on a different personality. And I think these are the right. tools in which people are using that to kind of do that. And do you think people are gravitating toward, I think there's something interesting to me that you said about the brands doing this to try to reach the younger uh, consumers, the younger, younger people online who maybe don't already have a connection with the brand. So it, like you said, he twisted, but my thought was like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't get a pair of Chicago 85 Jordans in the real world, but if Nike's dropping a digital pair that I could get access to, well, then that's kind of the next best thing. But if I'm hearing you right, it's even beyond that to Nike and, and the other companies trying to reach folks who have no connection to those old Jordans or, or not necessarily even a connection to Nike at all. And this is kind of the inroads is in the digital world first. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm sort of speaking for them, but I think that they are very concerned, it seems to me at least, about gaining new customers as opposed to, um, you know, catering for their existing customers. I think that's the big battle they're having with each other is, you know, who can who can reach new customers as quickly as possible. And when you've kind of covered, you know, the kind of Western Europe and America and things like that, there's, 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 there's making inroads into other, you know, un markets that aren't as huge is much easier uh, through things like Fortnite and, and right, you know, right. Roblox, things like that. It's a much easier strategy. And, you know, 
gaming itself is one of the biggest industries um, and it's growing exponentially year on year. So I think it's very, very natural for them to want to explore this area. um, uh, I think so. So can you walk us through and and, uh, not to put you on the spot here as the spokesperson for any of these other other entities, but can you walk us through um, an example of a drop of an NFT drop or or some sort of a, a digital drop that you've seen recently that's been successful oh god uh okay uh well i'd say the, the, the most successful one that i've seen recently is probably the adidas originals drop okay uh, uh, so they did three things they dropped the they did what's called a whitelist which means that you can uh you, you have prior access towards to, to to buy the nft right so um uh, whitelists are quite important because you know you can get a sense of how many people you know actually want to buy the product um, and they did it uh, three ways. They dropped a proof of attendance protocol, um, a POAP or POAP, uh, it depends how you say it, um, in one of their apps. And whoever had so that you, app, you can say, hey, like I'm out here saying Adidas, like an American. So, you know, yeah, you, you've got the Adidas going. I, you have full authenticity <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So you could, if you had that POAP, it means that you were on the app. So the, there was a kind of like a brand loyalty there. So that's what they're exploring. Right. Okay. And then through their partnership with um, the Board Ape Yacht Club, they had everyone who owned a Board Ape um, and a Mutant Ape could um, have access to the NFT as well. And so this meant that they had, uh, you'd log on and because of your wallet address, which is the um, the wallet, the, it's, a, it's a public address that every everyone that they can read. They know whether you've got the Board Ape or they've got the, um, the, the POAP. Right. And they can, and then as soon as you sign to to do the mint on Mint Day, well, actually they they did it for they pre they pre did the launch so that those people could go first essentially, yep. and then once those once uh, that was exhausted, you got two people you could buy two per wallet, um, and then everything that was left over went to a public mint, which means that uh, anyone can can go on and try and buy one. Um, I actually did try and buy one myself, and I didn't get through. Um, so they ended up selling 30,000, which is quite a lot for a, for an NFT drop. And they yeah. sold that within, you know, like minutes. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest NFT drop recently, I think, in terms of like its actual size and um, the sort of like the hype around it, I think. Now, does the NFT, I know that some NFTs have, um, you know, utility or functionality beyond you know, having the NFT and being able to use it uh, in different ways online, they grant you access to further things, that kind of stuff. Was there anything like that wrapped up in the uh, Adidas Originals drop? Yeah, so we didn't really know exactly what the physical NFT was going to look like until it uh, actually went live. So there was a lot of, um, it was a lot of, you know, it's a bit of a risk essentially, but yeah, you get access to their the Adidas Originals Discord, which actually anyone can join. Um, but there is like a, a closed off bit for um, for NFT holders and those NFT holders get to vote on the physical products that they were they will be able to buy. And then Adidas plan to um, release more physical products either directly to NFT holders or they will get some sort of discount or pre-access. So it's very much these are my customers and we're going to keep some loyalty. And this is something that, you know, we've talked about before in, at, at the sole supplier is that, you know, before NFTs, I don't think brands really took loyalty seriously. Mm. Um, and I think that was potentially one of the problems with the existing brand and customer relationship is that, you know, you 
Adams got like you know what 100 pairs of Nikes probably behind behind him but right. has has Nike really offered him anything for being so loyal probably not and I think that <laughs> that's that's kind of what the fundamental problem with the traditional consumer brand relationship is that there isn't really any you know any reason or you don't get rewarded for being for being a loyal customer and I think that this is kind of a way where adidas can kind of give something back to their loyal customers who have in essentially invested in in the, their project right so if i've got just to kind of recap if i was able to get one of these i'm gonna go back a step further and this is actually as far as i got with it i downloaded the what was it the confirmed app or did they put out a different one is the adidas confirmed app yeah yeah okay and so then that gives me the proof of participation and yeah. then that I only can, noticed it. Only, so, sorry. Only if you noticed it at the bottom. It wasn't it wasn't kind of like very obvious. Okay, got it. Okay. So that's an in to potentially get on a whitelist. But either way, one way or another, I queue up to try to get in on the mint. And if I'm able to get one of the NFTs, one of the tokens, then that token gives me access to purchase a physical good related to the drop. But yep. then also to have a voice, right? To potentially have a voice and vote on things down the line that the company is doing that are kind of rewarding me for my loyalty. Yeah. yeah. And that is interesting because yeah, so there's- the moment, Yeah. No, sorry, go Karen, Karen. Oh, no, I was just going to say that um, there's, uh, you know, there's the Nike sneakers app for folks who, who don't know about it. The, this whole idea of lining up to get- So, so sneakers- um, as with many other other goods, particularly sort of luxury goods or, or, or goods that are created with kind of a planned scarcity to them. They're, they're dropped in sort of a limited edition run. There's a certain number, not all sneakers, we can get into the whole thing about how the sneaker industry functions, but there are certain sneakers that are dropped in, in limited batches. And in order to get them, you have to basically line up, whether in person or online. And so Nike created this whole, aside from their normal Nike app where, you know, I go to buy my kids shoes. There's the sneakers app, which is kind of more for the higher profile or more in demand uh, sneakers that are being dropped. And there's been a whole lot of controversy over, you know, who knows how long you guys would know better than I would about whether or not the sneakers app is fair to folks who, you know, do you even have a chance if you're trying to get a pair of dunks through the sneakers app? Is there stuff going on behind the scenes? There's, there's all this stuff going on with bots getting in the way and sort of ruining the experience for the, the everyday person who's just trying to get a, a pair of cool sneakers they really want. Um, and so I think it's really interesting, this point of, you know, the NFTs maybe being a way to kind of reverse that and, and reward the loyalty and for the brands to say, for Adidas to say to the folks who, have, who are proof of participation and picking up the NFTs to say to them, we see you, we value you, and now we have a mechanism where, you know, digitally making it really easy for us, low cost, easy for you, wherever you are in the world, you can now have a little bit of a say in what we're doing next. Yeah, I think it's a, a good way. A good way to compare this is, you know, back in 2005, um, there was a really, really hype shoe. It was the, it was by Jeff Staple. It was the Nike Ethi Dunk Pigeon. Oh. Talk about the riots. Talk about the riots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the riots were crazy. The police had to shut down all the stores. 
people who successfully purchased the shoes, like loads of them were being followed home. And um, I think we like we can make parallels with like us queuing, like people queuing for that sneaker back in the day and us queuing for like NFTs right now. If you think about it, we're kind of like at the same stage in that evolution. And look how far the sneaker industry has gone since. And um, like Pitt mentioned earlier, people who successfully got the shoes, like like they had to queue for hours and hours upon end. Um, they were at risk of a lot of things. Yeah. And uh, what 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 did they get at the end? Like they got a pair of shoes. But with NFTs, at least you get a say with physical products. At least you, at least the brand still knows that you're there. And um, I, I feel like. There's so many ways you can compare the NFT industry now to what like what the sneaker industry was back in the early nineties, and um, it, I feel like a lot of people are only seeing it like surface level. Um, when you think about the gaming industry, for example, we've been buying DLC like downloadable content since the early two thousand tens, and everyone's so happy to, to be buying like sneakers for their, their virtual character. But as soon as you talk about buying sneakers for a virtual character that is yourself people begin to get up in arms about like that's so weird <laughs> right, right, like what why, why why are you doing that but like rockstar games for example they've been doing this since 2013 with gta 5 um they've been churning out tons and tons and tons of dlc but people are still buying into it but like what, what is the real difference between a deal like a game dlc and nfts at the moment right do you think that this this uh promise of uh, interoperability isn't quite the right word, but being able to pick portability, being able to take your NFT and go from, I can use it as my you know Twitter profile picture. I can then go over to a game in you know Decentraland or whatever it is and actually use, you know, put it on my, put it on my character who's playing the game, that kind of thing. Some of these uh, big gaming companies, you know, Rockstar, Epic, whoever it is, have these walled gardens, right? They already have Roblox, to use my example. They have Robux. They're doing all the stuff within their own ecosystem that is, it's working by all accounts. Users are using it and buying it up. Roblox is, is minting money, so to speak, by selling this stuff. What incentive is there is there for these big gaming companies to move from that walled garden they've created to buying into this NFT system where, you know, the, the goods can be portable. Do you think that that's happening or going to happen? Or what do you think the future is with this idea of being able to take your, your NFTs and go from place to place and, and, you know, still have your same identity? Well, so um, I think at the moment, I think it's one of, one of the biggest problems, I think, with the way that NFTs are portrayed is that they are, essentially considered like the interoper interoperability is already here and it works and it doesn't really work for no. any entity really right. so it will work and that's the idea that you know the te the, the technology is there the standard you know the erc er721 standard or whatever standard that they decide to you know make after that or on whatever blockchain um, they are working on interoperability, but at the moment, they are essentially walled gardens. If you buy something on the sandbox, it doesn't necessarily translate out into another metaverse, and there aren't really that many metaverses anyway. Sure. So I think that you know the, the industry needs to be a little bit careful about how much they say that these assets are you know transferable or 
um you know you can you can definitely sell them but you know they don't nest at the moment interact with other you know platforms but i don't think that that will be something that stays like this forever it will happen and that is the idea but i think there's an over you know simplification of the idea of um you know why would you buy something in fortnite when you could buy an nft and you can sell it and you can hold it forever and then maybe use it somewhere else it doesn't really work like that in practical yet but you think but, we're headed that way oh 100 yeah because um, and is that just because people like the idea and it's just gonna you know that's where the users are going to gravitate to places where they can do that yeah i think so and and i think the big the reason that gaming companies have flirted with the idea of doing it and i know that they've got huge backlash from from uh, a lot of the community and i kind of don't really understand it although i do understand it from a perspective of uh, they're really trying to get rid of microtransactions so they kind of see it as more of a you know we're spending our money and it, with interop interoperability being quite low at the minute i can understand why they would kind of push back against that but um i think that one of the reasons why gaming companies are flirting with it is that um, scale the scalability in, uh, at speed that NFTs can have for a whole ecosystem has been shown through OpenSea and various other platforms to be to be something to be exponential. And I think that that is uh, an avenue that people want to explore because it can allow them to grow far quicker than any other traditional business model. And so I. Let's back up a second because I, I think there's something interesting there that uh, I just want to unpack a little bit for well for myself but for the audience too. What do you mean when you say the scalability at speed of NFTs? So if you think about OpenSea, um, it's been and, going and for for folks who who might not know, OpenSea is the leading NFT, NFT marketplace. marketplace. Yeah, it's okay. a little bit like the ebay of nfts but i guess the a better you know that's what i was thinking but i didn't want to say it because I, I figured i'd be wrong so okay cool. <laughs> <laughs> a, a better comparison is probably etsy um, and it's kind of more of a suitable comparison and if yes. you think about it has been going since around 2005 and um openc's been only been going for around 2017 and um is a private company so we don't really have you know a lot of data on their uh, you know, how much money that there is going through the, the protocol. But if you look at on-chain statistics, you know, Op OpenSea's grown far bigger than Etsy within that, uh, within a yeah. much quicker time frame. So if you take that model has been shown that if you give people um, something that they can have a hold on as an asset, that they will spend more than they would from a, on a traditional business model, which is about buying and selling fees. Um, and so this is kind of re turning the whole business model on its head because the, the idea is keep uh, the the average transaction that goes through OpenSea is far higher than you know any other platform that you'd consider um, uh, similar in from a Web two stance. And for people who don't know what Web two is, Web two would be kind of I would just imagine it's anything like you know iTunes, Spotify. Um, uh, any platforms like eBay or Etsy, uh, you could just class them as Web2. Right. Um, so if they're managing to grow at such a rate um, and in such a quick time time frame um, by just having digital assets as as physical, as, as assets that can be tradable um, and the average transaction value is much higher, then isn't then that's something that potentially, uh, you know, new companies or games starting out 
if they want to grow quickly, why would they go, go and choose the traditional model and spend all that time growing, becoming big and, you know, getting all that power when they can do go, go down this route and maybe grow at a faster rate? Because people have more of a reason to come back to the platform because they are financially invested into it, you know? We're talking to Adam Chung and Pip Macquarie from The Soul Supplier. Adam is the editor-in-chief and Pip is the blockchain and cryptocurrency manager. Uh, Soul Supplier is, uh, you know, especially after this conversation, I don't even want to, sneakers is not a bad word in any way, but I don't want to pigeonhole what you guys do is saying it's about sneakers. It's about streetwear or fashion because we're getting into, you know, these interrelated things with gaming and, and the music industry and community building and all these things that are kind of, um, it's almost just like a porter, a portal, excuse me, to uh, this culture that kind of transcends between online and offline. Pip, one of the articles that I mentioned earlier was uh, something you wrote about NFTs in the music space. And there's an interesting thing here with this notion of the creator economy and ways uh, for artists of, of all sorts, of musicians to make money, earn a living off of what they're doing. There's For a while now, there's been a lot of talk about the record industry dying and artists not being able to make money. You know, for me, I, I think back to the late 90s, early 2000s, when um, I had a uh, my first dot-com job. And, you know, we had a, a super fast internet connection at the office. And so access to online music was all of a sudden a thing from that connection at the office. That was also the era of Napster and LimeWire and music pirating and all of that kind of stuff. And we've gotten to a point now where, you know, Spotify, iTunes, streaming platforms are the distribution service of the day, but a lot of artists just can't make a living off of doing that. They're making a living off of touring. Certainly in the past couple of years, the touring industry was, you know, shut down by COVID. And so now we're kind of at this moment where how are folks, how are musicians making a living playing their music? NFTs might be a path forward. Do you want to speak a little bit to that? Yeah. So in some respects, I think that if you explain NFTs to someone, it's more, it's much easier to explain NFTs as music than it is as, you know, traditional JPEGs. Okay. And the reason that JPEGs really came about is because essentially they are the most easiest thing to make. Sure. So naturally the, the NFT standard would use JPEGs to start off with because people can make them at such a bigger rate. But if you want to describe the end, the relationship that the consumer has with the NFT and the creator, then I think music's a much better example. Um, so you, you, you can, you can create a music album or a track and put it as sell it as an NFT you can also create a Discord. Um, you can sell 10 of those NFTs or you can sell just one. And um, what you get from that is more of an intimate relationship with the artist. And because of the reason that you're not having to, you're not beholden to the low, low streaming uh, fees, it's actually more valuable for the artist in terms of selling an NFT to... Um, to sell an NFT rather than stream on Spotify. So the way to view NFTs, uh, I guess, and, and the whole industry as a whole is that what you're looking for is the quality of customer rather than the quantity of customers. And so, you know, there's quite a few big examples of, um, you know, artists that ha have like next to no earnings on, um, on Spotify, for instance, or mm -hmm. iTunes. 
um, or Apple Music's called, isn't it? Um, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I said, that was, that was me. I'm dating myself. I'm thinking back to my 2000 days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you give someone a financial interest where they own something that they can potentially sell, then they're financially invested in, they're willing to pay more for one, and they're financially invested in the success of the artist. They engage more. They've got their, they, their attention is higher. And this has allowed, you know, artists that I've definitely never heard of for, um, to, to earn, you know, 10, times more money selling their art as an NFT. So I think that... Is that, not to interrupt you, but do you think that that's because we're in, in a bubble with NFTs and that that's going to burst and there were just some artists you've never heard of who sort of... I don't mean to disparage anybody, but kind of got lucky riding the NFT wave and, you know, just just uh, speculative investments just being thrown into JPEGs. And, oh, here's, an, here's a music NFT. That's different. I'll put some money into that, too. Or do you think it's something that's a, a sustainable model? Uh, I, I think... I think that maybe the money that music NFTs will eventually wane, for instance, if the, as more and more people, you know, come to the market. But I think that they are the the streaming can and it can and then music NFTs can they can they can coexist. You know, yeah. If music, if music NFTs is the ownership, we can still stream these NFTs, but the owners can still own them as the actual you know digital asset. So I think that. It may, it, it, I don't, I wouldn't say it's a bubble at all, but I would say that it is something that might, you know, the, the average, um, the average price paid for one of these NFTs may go down a little bit, but I think we're a long way off that. Right. Really. I mean, I, I, you know, it, it's, it's different. I, I guess I'm going to phrase this as a question. There's differences, but is there a similarity to, I'm thinking back when I used to pay, and I mean, this was in, you know, whatever, $1990, eight bucks for a cassette tape, 12 bucks for a CD. That's how I got my music, right? Yeah. Now, you know, I pay whatever it is, $10 a month or 15 on a family plan, and I've got streaming access to all the music in the world. But I know folks, I, I'm not one of these folks, but I know folks who, who are into vinyl and collect vinyl. And so they'll use streaming platforms as like an audition kind of thing to, you know, listen to different kind of music and they hit something they really like, they'll go and spend the money to get the vinyl copy, which to me kind of, you know, when you, when you talked about the NFTs offering up a more intimate relationship between the creator and, and the listener, that kind of sparks something for me thinking about, you know, having a physical object or just the fact that I invested the money, even though it was only 10 bucks it's still a bigger investment than just that monthly listening fee. Um, but, but the discord element, the community building element, I think brings something, you know, bigger into this. Are, is that a big part of, I mean, I guess I'm wondering as a, as anybody, as a, as a music maker, as a sneaker company, as a, as a, you know, somebody designing hoodies, whatever it is, is there now this added element that's kind of an opportunity, but also a responsibility to if I really want to grow my community and build my brand, I've got to do something more than just put out the product. I've got to do things to cultivate a community, whether it's on Discord or somewhere else. Yeah, I think, well, I think these these artists are struggling to get audiences and communities anyway. So right. I think that this is just a way that they can they can only they can target much less people but earn a higher living. So right. I think, yeah, I think that 
you know, I think that whatever, whatever industry you're in in the future is going to be the power of, you know, the community that your brand commands or that you're part of is going to be, that's going to be, you know, the new form of e-commerce. So that, I think, that quality of customer as opposed to quantity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got, you've got a hundred willing buyers fully invested in you is much better than, you know, a thousand casual listeners, essentially. Right. right. So when we were talking uh, before we hit record, Pip, um, we were kind of bouncing ideas, topics back and forth. And one of the topics you added that um, we've kind of touched on a little bit here, but I think it, it's really interesting and worth kind of talking about specifically is what's happened over the past couple of years with um, what, what some folks, at least in the sort of professional circles I travel in are calling, I guess a lot of people are calling the great resignation uh, and this this move to people spending more of their time and work online. And it was, you know, forced upon a lot of people by COVID. My, my, my perspective is a little skewed because I've spent most of my working life working remote, even <laughs> back in the day, uh, you know, before it was easy on the internet. Um, what I, I guess I'll turn it to you. And also we're talking, you know, I'm in, I'm in California, in the United States, you're in London, Adam, you're in Ireland. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the perspectives may be a little bit different um, given our, our, our geographical locations. Um, but what have you seen in, you know, in the past couple of years uh, and then sort of broadly with people spending more of their lives and particularly work lives online and, and how that's affecting notions of community and what people want from, you know, kind of merging their their physical and digital lives together and just how that all plays into all of this stuff we're talking about with brand building and community and, and, you know, this, this notion of um, my identity and my online identity and how that all folds together. Yeah. So uh, I think this is the, should be the case for the, for the U S as well, but what you have is you have essentially people who have been asked to sit at home and, uh, and they've been either working from home or they've been, uh, you know, off work. Yeah. And I think this has kind of created this idea of where people have kind of had this realization of actually what they, how they want to work in the future. And the fact that they can or most of the time do most of their jobs working from home, there's been a, a real, real reluctance to go back to the office. And there's been a lot of industry changes. So you have a whole group of people, uh, and it's kind of really quite tech focused, who have um, decided that they don't really need to or want to do their the job that they're doing at the moment, and then they they can leave, and they can kind of work from home and do another job. And then you have the emergence of crypto and Web three, where there's money being put into so many different projects and protocols that you have a new industry that requires you you can be anywhere. So that's why you've seen people the industry grows at such a rate and then particularly in london i think that we've had what's called the collapse of the council estate where you know we don't really have you know groups of uh people living in uh tower blocks anymore based on their you know how much money they make or anything like that they've everybody's kind of more spread out okay and so because everybody's more spread out there's a sense of physical community is dying a little bit mm. and that's why this whole that's why the online community has become so important so if you put that together and and also everybody's commuting to the same cities you know like everybody must be commuting to the center of la or everybody's right. commuting to the center of london there's no you know that's where the real jobs are or were so if you spread people around then the, the natural 
the natural idea is to move online. So the community, the idea of community, in, you know, is it has has moved online, um, and so I think that's a big reason why NFT communities have been have become so big. And I think there's there's lots of other communities as well, like the sneaker community is big on Discord, and people are you know gravitating to the to those types of uh, social interactions. You know, even gaming, you could say that as well, rather than you know uh, talking to their neighbor. You know, I would say that you know most people I know now don't know you know, much about their neighbors compared to, you know, my parents' generation and things like right, that. Right. Well, yeah. and it makes sense, right? Like, I mean, I, I'm super lucky my neighbors are cool. <laughs> I lucked out. But as you're talking, I'm thinking about like, well, right, you online, even in the early days of, you know, text-based BBSs and everything, like it was a place where you could go find your people, especially if, you were somewhere physically where you weren't surrounded by your people. You felt for whatever reasons like that. I don't fit in. These aren't my people. They're not the people I want to be with, whatever. And you could go online and find those people. And to your point, if, if city centers and, and physical communities are collapsing for various reasons and COVID kind of accelerated that, and then this, this knowledge worker in particular move, and, and this isn't going to slow down anytime soon to, Hey, wait, I can do my work from wherever. COVID forced us into the situation where that's been proven. So not only do I not want to go to the office and hang out with y'all, but I'm going to move to somewhere else I want to be because I don't want to commute anymore. And then, bam, I'm going to look around online and, oh, there's, you know, the, yeah. the, God, I keep coming back to Air. It's, it's Air Max Day almost as we record this. So it's in my head. And, you know, uh, but right, there's my there's my folks who who are all into Air Maxes, or there's my folks who are into board apes or whatever it is, and you have that online and it it, it makes a lot of sense. Um I have to ask, just because it's a you know, metaverse kind of this overarching theme of this this show I'm doing. Would you do these things strapped into a VR headset? Does that have appeal for you guys? Or is it, you know, this, this, uh, I don't know this, it's hard for me to imagine this transition to an always online world has just happened. Right. And I've given up in, in a lot of ways, this thought of like, Oh God, I should really put my phone down. I've been on my phone for so long. And it's like, I pick it up again three minutes later. And that's kind of where we're at. Um, VR offers the promise at least of these more immersive experiences where this idea of community could take on a different dimension and everything, but it comes with the price of being strapped into a headset. Do you, do you guys do stuff in VR? Is there an appeal for you? Do you see a appeal in you know, the, the folks who you work with and who come to the soul supplier site and who you talk to in communities, or is that not even a thing? Um, I think personally, the idea of VR and having to have a headset, um, it's quite dated. Like when you think about the days of like Google Glass and stuff like that, <laughs> and you had to wear this piece of like technology strapped to your head. Like Google tried to introduce that lifestyle, but nobody bought into it. But like, I, I can't speak for what will happen in the future. But right now I feel like VR is at that really awkward stage of its life where nobody really wants to kind of dive into it just yet. And it doesn't help that VR headsets are so expensive to begin with. Sure. Yeah, it's a, the opportunity cost is high for sure. Um, I think from a metaverse uh, point of view, I think that a lot there's a misconception that the meta the metaverse is a um, something that you have to experience in VR, which and I think that it's one of those things that is um, you know it, it will be done through VR, but I I, don't, I think it could just happen through a screen, you know, um, so I I think that um, it may help some some experiences, but 
um, you know, most of the time people can just browse Decentraland or, you know, or Sandbox just on their computer screen. I think it has the same immersive effect as well. Same, right, yeah. Um, especially with how you're interacting with people and stuff like that. They are just basically, you know, like social medias that are, are more advanced and complex in a way. All right, we've been at this for a while and I don't, I don't, oh, I'm sorry, Adam, go ahead. You. Oh, it was just when you think about these types of experiences like uh, like Facebook's matter and everything like that, these things have been done before, yeah. but like for example, like PlayStation Home and Meverse and things like that. But I guess they were just before their time. And um, I really do feel like this will probably come back, but without the virtual uh, reality headset. Right. There is a, uh, the, the first episode of the, of the pod, um, we were talking about this notion that Nenea Reeves, the guest, was talking about, you know, this time in the future where, and, and I'm wearing, people can't see at home on the audio feed. You guys aren't wearing glasses. I'm wearing glasses. But, you know, if my glasses could not only, you know, do what they do now, but the vision correction could be adaptive, and then there could be data layered on top of that. I'm not sitting here yearning for data in my field of vision all the time, but it would also be a hard thing to not at least try. And then the slope gets slippery. And then, you know, all of a sudden I'm in, uh, who, who knows what I'm looking at when I'm out in the world? Is it the physical world or is it whatever's happening in my glasses? Um, before I let you guys go, we've been at this for a while and it's awesome. And I could do this all day, but I want to respect your time here. Um, couple of things. One, are there other projects? We mentioned the Soul NFT Twitter, Twitter channel. Are there other things that y'all are cooking up at the Soul Supplier that you want to talk about before we go. Um, and then I wanted to touch at least briefly on the notion of environmental sustainability uh, and the blockchain. So pick a lane up to you guys. Where do you want to go? Uh, so, yeah, we, we we are working on a few things, uh, NFT related, but yeah, we they, aren't, they haven't materialized enough that I could really talk about them at the minute. So yeah, watch this space. Perfect. Uh, perfect. Yeah. I'm really excited about what we're it's trying an ex to do. Excuse for me to try to harangue you guys to come back on for an episode down the line. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with the sustainability in the blockchain, I think that any sort of argument or any sort of conversation around the environment and sustainability is, is a, is a, is definitely one to have. And it's not something that we should kind of, you know, shy away from, but I do feel like the argument is, kind of not framed in the right way and it's a little bit misleading and so there's loads of different things that go on for various different for one there's you know hundreds of different blockchains at the moment uh, and the one that really is quite energy intensive is 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 a uh, bitcoin and ethereum essentially but it's moving towards being uh proof of stake which is going to be you know 99 less energy intensive and then there's the other argument which is that you know, is there's a difference between pollution and energy, energy consumption, right? Um, and I, there is no reliable data that I've seen anyway that actually nails down exactly how much pollution um, crypto is doing uh, in general. So I think that it, ha it they do consume a lot of energy. That's that's you know that's not something you can deny. But if you compare it to the banking sector, cloud computing, uh, I think it's a different you know it's a different league. And, you know, I, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say that um, I don't necessarily think that's a reason to not do these things. You know, we, we, we have cloud computing, we have uh, cars, we have uh, the banking sector, but 
if you know i don't think that because of how much energy they use and they use far more than uh, than crypto do um then i don't think that there's a reason not to do them i think that's more of a reason to kind of rethink you know how they're how they're done you, you, the decentralization of of the blockchain means that we don't actually really know who is where and who's doing what and you know what they're doing there's big you know uh, mining far, farms and, and there's actually companies that are trade on the stock market who actually just make a living out of um uh mining bitcoin right. and is they they're they're incentivized to use as little electricity as possible so actually you know miners are the ones who utilize you know hydroelectric power more than you know more than most other industries but i think it's there's a lot of pressure on crypto and i think it's sometimes used as a stick to beat crypto you know crypto and nfts when actual fact i think the whole argument needs to be reframed a little bit we should be using we should find better ways to use energy and we should be using less energy as much as we can um rather than try and stifle innovation um and yeah i i yeah i it's it's something that has been in the in the news a lot and i think that the original the original study was was you know debunked a little bit but it kind of you know went through the media circle and it's been used as something something to criticize bitcoin yeah there's always a cost to um <laughs> anything you're doing in the physical world but certainly when you're when you're looking at innovation and trying to stand up a new a new technology a new space whatever it is you know the startup costs are always higher but uh as you said definitely focusing the attention on ways to incentivize and otherwise make all the technology more energy efficient is uh you know, and also where the energy comes from, using clean energy as opposed to dirty energy, and so on. It, it, it's a big thing. It's an important thing right now. There are a lot of important things in the world right now. A lot of things on fire to be dealt with. So, good enough. Uh, Adam, Pip, yeah. this has been a fascinating conversation. I, I've certainly enjoyed. It. I hope you guys have. Um, but thank yeah. you for coming on the pod. Uh, I'll drop a few links now. We'll put these in the show notes. But for folks who want to check out the Soul Supplier. Check out some of your work, uh, the articles, other stuff, the Twitter feeds. Where should they go? Uh, go to www.thesoulsupplier.co.uk. Right. And uh, at the Soul NFTs, our new N NFT Twitter. So, yeah, we're really excited about it. Excellent. Again, guys, thanks so much for taking the time. Also, it's, it's evening where you are in the world. So extra appreciate <laughs> you dipping into your personal time here, so to speak, to talk with me. Um, but this has been great and look forward to, you know, catching up again down the line when, uh, I don't know, the metaverse is connected to my 3D printer and I can purchase an NFT that lets me output something that I can put on my feet and go flex at uh, the playground where the dads hang out because that's really all the flex and I do these days. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Noah. All right, thanks again to Adam and Pip from The Soul Supplier for taking the time to join the pod. We'll be back on Thursday, as I said, this week's special two-episode week, so stick around for that. Subscribe, tell a friend, tell a colleague, and if you're so inclined, rate and review us. Uh, we really appreciate it. It helps us grow. And of course, you can sign up for the newsletter, metaverse.substack.com. Till next time, which is only two days away this week. My name is Noah Kravitz. We'll see you later. Thank <laughs> you.